You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. It is Easter, as you know. Again, thank you for being here. We're going to talk about the Easter story as we do every Easter to remind ourselves, to remember, to celebrate to go through again the story of Jesus so it can become our story. As always, if you have any questions about anything said, feel free to send it if you want. Uh, I'll pull this out, so if I can see them coming, I'll do my best to answer them, and if not, we'll get to them later in the service or in the week. It'll be on the bottom of the screen the whole time. Uh, Sunday's a big day for pastors, and so sometimes I, I, I get a little nervous. Because I got 30 minutes to convince you that Jesus loves you and wants to be close to you and wants to set you free and wants a relationship with you. And if I do a good enough job, you'll think about it later when you're eating deviled eggs. You know what I mean? Like that's, (laughs) but maybe not. Maybe some of you got dragged here by somebody that was cute and you said yes. And so sometimes I think about what did Jesus do when he had a big opportunity to preach And in Luke, the gospel that we're in for this season, the first time he's in front of the crowds, he gives a parable, just a short story, doesn't even explain it. He says, there's a farmer who takes some seeds and he throws them everywhere. A terrible farmer. (laughs) He's not purposeful or intentional. He's not putting them in the right places. He just throws them everywhere. Some of the seeds land on a path. Some of the seeds land on some rocks. On the path, the birds come and eat it. On the rocks, it never gets roots to be sustained or long-lasting. Some of it goes in with the weeds, and the weeds kill it. But some of the seed gets into some good soil. It makes a good, fruitful Life for the plant. Then he drops the mic. I don't have a mic to drop. And then he leaves. That's his sermon in front of the first crowds that he gets in the group in the in the book of Luke. That's it. And he says, Those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, they'll figure it out. Walks away. The apostles, wait, what? I thought we were getting crowds together. I thought we were, we were going to try to convert these people or, or, or make them into an army or so. What do we, what, this is our opportunity. What, what was that even all about? And Jesus explains it to him in Luke 8. He says, the seed is the word of God. And God just throws it everywhere generously. This is how generous God is. A bad farmer, but a generous farmer. Just <laughs> everywhere. And the soils are our hearts. And some of our hearts are just stomped down and unable to receive, and the birds eat it. Some of it, it's too rocky, can't take root, can't transform, can't become flourishing. Some of us are too worried about money and life and the storms of life. That's the weeds. The anxiety of life, Jesus says, just chokes it out. But some of us have hearts that are ready to receive. And those who have hearts like that, they'll figure it out. The apostles are floored. Right? This is, what? Your crowds, you just let them go, and that's what you, 
Okay. They're still figuring it out. They still don't understand. They're the disciples, right? They still don't get it. But that's Jesus' big sermon in front of his first crowd. And I start there because I think it's important for today. Because right before that story, right before it, Luke gives us some historical detail. He says, these are the people that followed Jesus. The 12 apostles, and along with them were a bunch of women. Among those women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and many others. All this becomes important. This is a bunch of foreshadowing for Easter, for Luke's gospel about what is happening on Easter Sunday. But before we get to that story, I just want to start with the bad news, as we always do here, so we can better receive the good news. And the bad news is this. We all want new life. We all want a new story. We all want better life, more hope. Uh, we, we want it. We want this Easter hope. We want this Easter power. That's why we're here. That's what we're trying to tap into to be a part of this Jesus story in a new way that, that brings about newness in our own life, about goodness and hope and joy. But sometimes we don't know how to get it. We don't always know how to get it. Or if we do know how to get it, we don't know how to keep it. We look in the wrong places, or sometimes we're not willing to make the changes for that root to take deep hold into it. Luke wants to show us through these disciples, particularly through these women, how to have good soil heart the hows and hows not of receiving Jesus' Easter goodness, his Easter power, his Easter salvation. Luke focuses on the women to show us the do's and don'ts of living this Jesus life. Hear the good news of the Easter message, God's word from Luke 24, 1 through 12. It says, very early in the morning on the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb. Last at the cross, first at the tomb, these women, good disciples. The men, they got some growth. I know you all know that, but it's also true in the gospel. Women are last at the cross, first at the tomb. They're bringing fragrant spices because it was a Saturday and they weren't able to properly prepare Jesus' body for burial. And so they show up early in the morning on Sunday morning to bring these spices, but they don't find a body. They find the stone rolled away. And when they went into the tomb... They didn't find, again, the body of the Lord Jesus. They didn't know uh, what to make of this. And suddenly, two men, angels, suddenly beside them in, in gleaming bright clothes. Some of your translations were like lightning white. The women obviously were afraid because every time you see an angel, you're afraid. This is just the biblical story. The women were frightened, and they bowed their faces down, and the angels make fun of them. <laughs> Why do you look for the living among the dead? Give them a riddle. They're, they're in utter terror and shock. And the angels are like, here's a riddle. Solve it in the midst of trauma. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's raised. Remember what he told you while he was with you in Galilee? He told you this. Specifically, he told you this three times, recorded that he must die, handed over to sinners, crucified, but he would rise again on the third day. And the women remembered his words. The women remembered his words. Remember the soil. 
Remember, God's seed is the word of God spread abroad in our hearts. The women remembered his words, and they returned from the tomb. They reported all these things to the eleven. Judas is no longer with them. But there's eleven there, and all the others. There's not just eleven there. There might be a hundred, hundred fifty of these disciples of Jesus in this upper room. Sad, anxious, waiting, not sure what to do. They left their whole lives to follow this rabbi. They have no idea what's going on. The women show up and they tell them what they've experienced. Who was it? Just like Luke chapter 8, the list. Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. She's new. And the other women. Susanna gets left out. I don't know what happened to her. Maybe she got her name changed. I don't know. Susanna's somewhere in there. First people to preach the Easter gospel message are these women. And their church congregation are the apostles and the other disciples. We met some angels. Jesus has been risen. They told all these things to the apostles, and the apostles thought it was utter nonsense. Didn't believe the women. In this culture, women weren't to be believed at this time. It was believed, and they were wrong to do so. But Peter had an inkling, something something spurred him to run to the tomb and he looked inside and he saw only the cloth that Jesus had been wrapped in. And then he returned home, wondering what had happened. The women already told you, Peter. You don't have to figure it out for yourself. Classic dude. He's like, I don't need directions. I'll figure it out for myself. The women are right there like, it's that way. I just told you. He's like, no, 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 no. I got a hunch. So he's wondering, the women know, they think the women's words are nonsense. Luke wants to show you these women, both in Luke chapter 8 and in Luke chapter 24, to show you model discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus, ultimately to have this good life, this Easter life, this resurrection life, this new story, new life that we all want. The women become the the examples of the do's and do nots of having this life. You know how we preach at the table. Head, heart, hand, something for us to know, something for us to experience or feel. How does this knowledge connect with us and change us and transform us? And what do we do with it? How does it become a holistic faith that moves from our head to our hearts to our hands out into the world? I always start with these questions when I come to a text. And I hope after hearing it a million times, if you belong to the table, you would ask these questions of the text too. What does God want us to know in this story? For me, the main point takeaway is about the word of God, that seed. You can't have a great life if it's built on a weak foundation. That's where I want to go. You can't have the great life. You can't have that new life. You can't have that resurrection life if it's built on a weak foundation. God's word is the foundation on which this new life, new story, new hope is built on. It's the stuff that we want. Remember in our, in our story that we just read, He isn't here, the angel said. Remember what he said to you. What does the angel tell them to do? Remember what he said to you. And the women remembered his word. This is the key to that new life. Remembering Jesus' word. Building your life on the things that he taught, said, and did. It's all here. Remember his word. And they remembered. And for Luke, this is how we get this good life.
Remember, again, the same list of women from Luke chapter 8 with the seed that's being spread apart. They have hearts with good soil. And Luke hopes that we will have hearts with good soil too, to remember the word and build our life on it. Remember the soils. I said, and so Luke's really asking you, which one are you? Hard-hearted? Crowded-hearted? Worried-hearted? Or are you have prepared a good soil to receive a good word? That's the Easter invitation for us. For Luke, the women are the model disciples because they remembered his word and that's it. That's the foundation. That's the key to a good life. That's it. Jesus tells us this, Luke 6, Matthew 7, you pick. He tells the same story. He says there's a parable. Two people want to build a house, a wise builder and a foolish builder. The difference between the wise and the foolish builders of these building these houses, he says, they both heard my word. They both heard what I said, what I taught, what I did. They've all heard it. The difference between the wise and the foolish is one builds their life, their house on my word, and one doesn't. Everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who builds a house on a firm foundation, and when the storms come, the house stays put. But if you don't build your life on my words, it's like building on sand, and when the storms come, the house is gone. The key to this good life, this Easter life, this resurrection life, the thing that we all want, the new story, is building our life on Jesus' story. That's the the meaning of the seeds. That's the meaning of Luke showing us these women. They remembered. The angels commanded them to remember. It's the remembering. This is it. This is it. Aaron and I bought a home in 2009, and we had some friends come and look at it before we bought it, and they said, foundation's not very good, in, in the kitchen area. And I was like, well, I want tile. And they went, you better not put tile on this. It's going to crack all day. And I was like, well, how hard can it be to put a foundation on a house in the kitchen? And so I went to Home Depot, maybe, and I bought this exact coveralls. If you've ever seen me wear them, it looks ridiculous. <laughs> I wear them to everything. Also, I'm deathly afraid of spiders. <laughs> deathly. I don't care what kind they are. Everyone's like, they're fine. Just the black widows. You want to stay away from them? Like, All of them are bad. Put this on. Got under the house. I mean, we ripped the thing down to the studs. I had a, a lot, a lot of help. But this one pulled the floor up, got underneath, got a car jack. I don't know if that's how you do it. That's how I did it. <laughs> YouTube was pretty fresh. They didn't have a lot of videos on this kind of stuff. This is called Peer and Post Foundation. I went and bought some of these. You're supposed to put them like every five to ten feet. I don't know. I had them like every two feet. This thing is either the worst floor in the whole city or the strongest one. I don't know. You tell me. Maybe both. I, I think I jacked it up too high. I think I recorrected it. It's a little bit like this, but the tile never cracked. That's all I know. <laughs> Good foundation is the key. Good foundation is the key. I learned as I was researching this that before 1940, they never bolted houses to foundations. They just put a house on top of a cement slab and let gravity just hold it there. The problem is, in California, is when earthquakes happened, right, the foundation would go this way and the house would go this way, and this is how houses just fell apart. 
because they never bolted these houses to the foundation. Just let gravity do it. Now, I think every house is bolted to the foundation. I don't know. I don't know anything about building anything. I could build you a song or poem or a sermon, (laughs) but I leave this to somebody else. But what I've learned is since World War II, they're bolting houses to foundations, and houses are staying up a lot better. The foundation is key. It's the most important part. For us, all of this means building our life on Jesus, who is the word of God. It means immersing ourselves into Jesus' story found in God's word. To grow in this good life, we have to know Jesus' life. And to live a good story, we have to build our life on Jesus' story. This is the most important thing that Luke wants you to know in this Easter story is that Jesus is alive and he's trustworthy and good and victorious and what he says is as good as gospel and you can build your life on it. In fact, it's the only way to the good life. What does Jesus want us to feel? How do we take this knowledge and and make it real? How does it impact our life in any meaningful way than just trying harder? Uh, This is the question I ask second. And I think it's this. It's almost impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong community. It's almost impossible. I won't say impossible. Nothing's impossible with God. But if you're trying to figure out how to live the right life, to live this Easter story, you need a good community. And I was just thinking about that because the women go back and they go, hey, we just had an experience. Nobody, angels, that, that stone that we couldn't even move if we wanted to, something's happening. They told us Jesus is alive. And the community went, not a chance. No way. Utter nonsense. Get out of here with that garbage. The angels were like, remember he told us this was going to happen. And the disciples were like, yeah, but we, I mean, metaphorically, right? Like, ugh, get away with that. We're sad. Let's just let us be sad. Right? And I'm not saying, listen, listen, hear me out. Blessed apostles. I'm not saying they are bad community. Hear me out. Just maybe at this time, they're not great community. But it got me thinking about the women's, the women's experience and how they weren't received well by their community. And that must have made a very difficult Easter morning for them of this incredible, life-changing experience in the tomb, the empty tomb, and their community dismissing them, not receiving what they have to say. To live this new life, this new story, this Easter hope, you need people. We believe it with every fiber of our being here. Good people, connected people. You need it. You have to have it. People are important. They will determine your future. And if you want a future in the new life, Easter, resurrection, hope thing, you need people. Every time I think about needing people, I think about movies. Because I think we've all seen that movie where maybe there's some, a new kid to town or a kid that's a nerd or a dork, which are my people. I can call them that. That's my, that's my people. And they get a nudge to, to the cool group. Somehow they're invited into the cool group or they get a nudge. I'm thinking of all kinds, I mean, just a million different movies. Gilmore Girls. Uh, there's a little bit of this in Lady Bird. But the movie I always think about is, is Mean Girls. She's, she was like the, 
She was the dork that came, her parents just travel all around. She'd never even been to public school before, didn't know how to do anything. But she kind of got a nudge to the, to the oh yeah, she hung out with, with, with my people. I think he's wearing the same stuff I'm wearing. This movie's 30 years old. But she gets a nudge to the cool kids. And she becomes mean. And the whole movie is about the arc of how she had good friends and she ended up with bad friends and everything falls apart and then has to find a way to get her good friends back again or live in the mess that they've made. We've all seen that story. That's true in our culture. It's true in our media and it's true in scripture. The community that we have determines so much about the life that we're able to live. But our culture is getting more and more alone and apart and separated. I don't even mean divided. I just mean that we don't make time for each other the way that we have. I get to teach some sociology classes at Chico State and some classic sociological works on how we are just lonely. Two books that you'd have to read if you wanted to graduate with a degree in sociology. Bowling Alone. What a great title. His whole premise is that more people bowl now than ever. Bowling... It's crushing, but we're not in leagues anymore. There's no league night. We're doing it by ourselves. I love bowling. All my friends hate it. I'm bowling alone. If you ever want to go bowling, please take me. I make them go for my birthday sometime, and they're like, I'm like, you guys want to do two games? And they're like, my thumb kind of hurts. I don't know. I'm like, it's my birthday. Suck it up. You should be. Is directed directly towards you. My twenty, <laughs> my twenty-first birthday. I was like, you guys want, well, you guys want to go to a Giants game? And they're like, no, nah, it's kind of far. I was like, you guys want to go bowling? They're like, I guess. I'll buy nachos. I'm bowling alone. We're alone. There's all. I mean, they just talk about how. I mean, just every ten minutes of commuting, you have to do your connection to people goes down. There's, we just are so much more alone than we have ever been. Or Alone Together by Sherry Turkle. She's talking about how we're trying to make technology. We expect more from technology and less from each other. They're creating seal stuffed animals to give to people because they're so alone. They're hoping these stuffed animals will mitigate again. But they move and they whimper. I don't think it's going to work. I think we're in trouble. Countries are coming up. Ministers of Loneliness, UK, Japan, United Arab Emirates. Whew. Ministers of Loneliness. This is an issue. Worldwide, across the globe, people are lonely, and it's affecting society in negative ways. And I'm just letting you know that if the world is dealing with it, there's a spiritual truth behind it too. One of my favorite pastors of all time, one, I wish I, if I could be like anyone, it would be my man. He says, there can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life, apart from an, an immersion in and embrace of community. I am not myself by myself. We believe you need community. Because as the old cliche goes, you show me your friends and I will show you your future. And the people you're hanging out with today are shaping the you of tomorrow. 
If you want to have this good life, this new story, this Easter hope, you need a close, connected, supportive community. And I know it's hard. It's hard to make friends. It's hard to get people together. Uh, Very difficult, but necessary. We need it if you want to live this good life. Lastly, what does Jesus want us to do with this? What do we do with the Easter message, with this story? What What do the women learn that we need to learn if we want to live this good life? You have to stop looking for life in dead places. You have to stop looking for life in dead places. The men, they're not men, they're angels, but it says men said to the women, why do you look for the living among the dead? This is their first issue. This is the first thing the angels say to them. This is the first words they receive on the first Easter morning that has ever existed. Why are you looking for life in dead places? We do this all the time. We look for life in dead places all the time. My five Ps that I always bring up just to be helpful, hopefully, is we look for them here, possessions and, and people, right? We, if we can have enough people that like us or follow us or retweet us or whatever it is, we think that'll be helpful, but it's dead. Or, or, or a partner, if we just find the right romantic partner, that'll solve life's issues. I don't think so. Power, if we can get enough position or power, maybe, or popularity or pleasure. We think these things are the way to the good life, and it is often in dead space for us. My classic example, and the thing I look for that is a dead place when I look for hope, is food. I, was, uh, I got into this personality test called the Enneagram, and the, and the reason I got into it, because at first it was like, hey, you're really, you're really helpful. And, and that's awesome. You're so helpful. And I was like, I am helpful. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for noticing. I appreciate that. And it was like, you're very altruistic, and you like people, and you would serve anybody anytime. And I was like, you're right. I love this test. And it was like, but, but... When things get stressful, you can be a little argumentative. And I was like, what, what? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, not me. No one's ever said that to me in my life. They have. If you don't know me, that's true. They say it to me all the time. You can be argumentative. You can get a little resentful. And I was like, okay. I'll work on it, but I like that helpful thing. And they said, and actually, when you're really stressed out, you will tell because you're going to cope. Everybody copes. A lot of people have negative coping habits. They said, your negative coping habit is going to be sugar. And I was like, is this thing reading my diary? (laughs) They're like, you're probably in bed right now eating a bowl of cereal. And I was like, how did you know? (laughs) These are my friends since I was a kid. is a dead place. Literally, if I did what I wanted to do with sugar, I'd be dead in a couple years. I look for life in literally something that wants to kill me. 
This is it, but it feels so warm. It feels like an inner hug, like a warm blanket inside of me. It feels like life, but it's death. It's death. It will literally kill me. Every doctor I've ever talked to is like, bro, you're 36. No more lucky charms. And I said, mind your business. I didn't say that. I would never say that to a doctor. I think we all have a propensity. If we're not all doing something like this, we all have a drive to do something like this. And I don't know what your thing is. I don't know if it's, it's drugs or substances or alcohol, porn, sexuality, again, people, if it's work, if it's accumulation of stuff, accumulation of people, if it's, if it's just trying to be in control of everything all the time and, and just boss everyone around because you're just trying to find something to make meaning of the hardness of life. But oftentimes we look to dead places for life and it's the first thing the angels tell these women is why are you looking for the living among the dead. No, stop. Whatever it is, stop. I said don't stop, but I bet don't period, stop period. This is one of the most important scientists you've never heard of. His name's Claire Patterson. Uh, his story is that he worked on the Manhattan Project, which is the thing that created the atomic bomb that ultimately we dropped on civilians in Japan. And he, he was a scientist. He loved scientists. He thought it was the way to life. And so he, he devoted his life to it, and they, and they took him, and they put him on this project. And he was so horrified at what his life's work turned into. This thing that he thought was going to be life actually turned out to be literal death for lots and lots of people, including his own metaphorical soul. So he dedicated the rest of his life to doing something meaningful for humanity. The first thing he did, because he was able to separate uranium for the bomb, he figured out how to measure uranium. I don't know. We got chemists here. If you have questions, I'll, I'll steer you towards them. He figured out how to find the age of uranium and its depletion rate and, and its half-life and stuff like that. And he's the first one to find an accurate age of the earth. This guy, like 1956, is like, uranium tells us. But then as he was doing all that research about how old the earth was, he noticed that there was lead everywhere. And the lead was poisoning us. That, that our collective IQs had dropped about five points and our blood had 600 to 1,200 times more lead in it than it ever had in the history of humanity. And he was, ever, he was able to see the thing that was killing us and he used his science to try to figure out what it was and he figured out there's lead in everything. Apparently, I didn't know. Pipes, paint, Particularly gas. Did somebody say something? Particularly, particularly gas. It's everywhere. He was finding mummies in Egypt, and he was like, how much lead is in their bones? He was like, none. How much is in ours? A trillion. I don't know the numbers. But it was creating such an issue that, that babies were having issues at birth. We were having lead poisoning, slow long-lasting lead poisoning, our IQs were dropping. He spent the next 20 years of his life trying to get lead out of gasoline. Everyone said he was out of his mind. This wasn't an issue. Gasoline companies paid scientists to say, not a problem. 
And he was like, I promise you it is. 20 years of his life before finally they said, this is a major issue. And they stopped. And I'm young enough to go, and that's why they call unleaded gasoline, right? Because he worked, I heard an O back there. That's what I said. Thank you. I was like, this guy did it. 20 years of his life, they said, there's been an 80% reduction in lead in our blood. There's less overall uh, issues happening at birth. There's even some scientists saying, we've had a, a violent crime has plummeted in the last 30 years. And they said, there's a direct cause to a lack of lead poisoning because we were all slowly being sick. Something that ended up being death, right, turned into for him life. He stopped looking for life in dead places and refocused his life to find, do something meaningful and make life come about on planet Earth. And because of him and his 20-year fight, uphill battle, we all are healthier, every one of us because of Claire Patterson. We're all looking for life in dead things all the time and in dead places. And Jesus invites us to live a different way, a different story. But the good news of Easter is that even though the women looked in the dead place for life, Jesus meets them there in the form of these angels. They weren't alone in the dead place looking for life. God came and found them anyways. And God promises to meet us in our dead places too. If we're willing to have open hearts, good soil to receive the word, and a good community to encourage us on the way, God meets us in our dead places and brings that new resurrection Easter life. And with that, do you have any questions or comments? And if you don't, that's okay too. As we head into communion, where do you need God to meet you today? Is it a, a renewed interest in God's word to, to build your life on? Is it a community of people to do life with? Or are you stuck in a dead place that you need God to show up in and speak life into? We're going to come to communion. We do this every week. You can take a piece of bread and dip it. It's your time in, in, in this service to worship how you feel led. But if you need prayer, I'm going to ask Miranda to come forward. I'm also going to be up here. If you need prayer, pull us aside. We would love to pray with you. If you have a dead place you want to pray about, I'll pray with you. If you want to give your heart to Jesus for the first time and begin building your life on his word to have this good Easter life, come see me. Miranda can keep handing out bread. I'll come, I'll pray with you. Or you can ask her to pray. She'd be happy to. But with that, as we time, come to this time of communion, would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness this morning. That you show us the way to live the life that you have for us, that you designed for us, that we could find purpose in the pain of life and end up 
on the other side of death with you with resurrection power to experience new life, new hope, a new story in you. Thank you for these women who reveal to us what it is you have to say for us. Thank you for your word that stands as a constant truth and a sure foundation for our life. Thank you for these people gathered here. May we become your people, a family, a community that helps one another, encourages one another, empowers one another. But Jesus, we invite you into our dead places now. Wherever it is that we're stuck, whatever it is, is that, that thing that we know we shouldn't keep doing, we keep doing it anyways because we can't help ourselves. We know it doesn't lead to life. We know it doesn't lead to you. Enter into that space now. Would you speak life to it? Healing. Enter into that tomb with us and help us. And may this bread and this cup be nourishment for that healing because you promised to meet us here in these elements that we may commune with you, to have community with you, would it enter our body as, as health and wholeness and holiness? And ultimately, we come with expectant hearts, good soil to hear and receive from you. Table Church, will you help me end this prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer? Saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.